As I go through the three Abrahamic faiths, I think it's important to touch on the deeper aspects of Islam. I've touched on this before, namely in my episode about Sharia law versus Mosaic law. Importantly, I believe it's important, of course, to show similarities, but also differences. Why? Because just talking about religions isn't enough. We must analyze them. We must discuss their aspects because nothing is just surface deep. There's always a deeper story. So let's dive in to see a deeper story of Islam and its relation to Christianity. Like I said, let's dive in. Hello, and welcome to The Whitaker Show. This is a show geared towards talking about the many key lessons and takeaways of Christianity with an eye towards apologetics. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you all for tuning in. I know it's been a week, so I did take a week off, mostly because I wanted to brainstorm over this show about Islam, and also because I got a new mic and some hardware and some new hardware from donors. So that's really awesome. Um, and also my computer broke, so that was fantastic. So before I get deep into analysis here, let me list out some facts, creeds, and information on Islam so that we can have a basic framework, okay? Thanks for agreeing, I really appreciate it. So firstly, being a Muslim does not mean one is an Arab. Muslim is the term given to one who practices Islam. Arab is an ethno-linguistic term, like Jew can be as well. Um, or Jewish can be, I should say. Arab indicates an ethnicity or one who is from a certain region, right? Because um, most Muslims aren't even Arab. Like the majority of Muslims are those that are like in Indonesia and, and other places like that. So um, secondly, an Islamic creed is there is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet. Okay. This ties into the meaning of Islam, which is submission. Muhammad teaches one about how to submit to God. All right, there are, are two major denominations of Muslims as well, the Sunni and the Shia. The Sunni Muslims constitute roughly 85% of Muslims. Like their major split involves who should lead in the Islamic community after the death of Muhammad. Basically, like they're fighting over like the leadership, um, not always fighting, but they're like debating and arguing over who should lead the, lead the Islamic church after the death of Muhammad. Islam teaches that humans are born spiritually neutral and that they are able to obey the tenets of Allah on their own merits. Like they have the ability to do this already. Islam is oriented around instruction, not salvation. The Holy Book of Islam is officially the Quran, right? This is the inspired word of Allah to Muslims given via Muhammad. Muslims also hold the New and Old Testaments as inspired works in addition to Psalms and also the scrolls um, which were given to Abraham. And the Quran is the final authority to Muslims, though, and any other books must coincide with the Quran in their authenticity. So, all that being said, there are some key differences between our two religions. One of the key ones being who both religions view Jesus as. So, Christianity views Jesus as the Son of God and as God himself. Christianity holds that God is a triune God, one God with three facets, and I've discussed this in another show as well. Islam views Jesus with validity, but only as far as saying that he was a messenger of Allah. Jesus, according to the Quran, was born a virgin and was a prophet of Allah. As I've told y'all before, if I'm mentioning the God of the Bible, I mention God. If I'm mentioning um, the God of Islam, I mention Allah. That way we have a good separation between our terminologies here. 
One other difference is in the general nature of the religions. See, Christianity is a salvation-based religion focused upon the sinful nature of man and the need humans have for God to save their souls. See, in Christianity, God loves us unconditionally regardless of our disposition to, um, to him or to our lifestyles, right? You could be a deep, deep sinner um, or someone who has a bad tendencies and God still loves you regardless, right? And it's not about you. It's about him. It's about him saving your soul. Um, the only caveat to this is if we constantly choose um, to not choose God, you know, like if you turn your back to God and then choose to live your entire life up to the moment of death, opposed to him, well, of course you wouldn't go to heaven because A, you're not saved and B, you've lived your life in opposition to him. Like you can live your whole life in opposition to God and choose on your deathbed to come to God. That's how powerful our like religion is. You can say, you know what? I was wrong. God love you. I saved my soul. And then bam, be, be dead. And you'll be instantly there in heaven with God. So it doesn't mean, right, if you choose him at the end that, or that you don't choose him at all, that God still doesn't love you, right? But not choosing him as consequences, mainly going to hell upon death. Um, but God will never give up on you, ever. Um, Islam, on, on the other hand, is a religion focused upon instruction and the following of tenets, right? It's not so much about the salvation and grace that Christianity talks about, but it's about memory and um, recitation. So if you follow the tenets, then Allah loves you, right? And this is confirmed in Surah Ali Imran 332, where, where it's written, Verily, Allah does not love the unbelievers. Verses continue after this that, that detail Allah not loving ungrateful sinners as well as transgressors. The message of Christianity is eminently different, right? John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Luke 6.35 says, But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Keyword there, kind to the ungrateful and the evil. 1 John 4, 7-8 states, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. These are verses we rely upon as Christians. And this is the message that Jesus brought us regarding even those who hate God. We are supposed to love. We win with love. Even Mosaic law forbids Jews from harming unbelievers or enslaving them. Right? And that's and that's in Judaism. You know, like they still follow that kind of stuff. So contrast this with what I mentioned about Allah. And by the way, we also um, can take certain parts of the law and then apply them to our life in Christianity as well. I'm not saying that only Jews honor the law. Like the law didn't stop being. But again, that was a previous show. So, so like, imagine this. Allah would be the parent who loves you as long as you follow the rules and measure up. Whereas God would be the parent who loves you as the father in Luke 15, 11, loves his wayward son. Even when the son disobeyed the father and wasted his inheritance, the father still took him back with adoration and the son was restored to the side of the father in honor. That's the kind of selfless love that Christianity embodies. One of the criticalities to Christianity is understanding that we are all born in sin, right? So let's circle back to sin here. Not just because of Adam and Eve's decisions, but because of the cost of free will. Choosing God means putting the Holy Spirit inside of you and choosing to abolish sin from your life. 
It means that you accept you are flawed, which we all are, especially me, and you choose perfection. And I don't mean you will be perfect. I mean God is perfect. God came down as a man, as God, lived a perfect human life, and then died for your sin, right? Completely getting rid of your sin. This doesn't mean you can't sin. What it does mean is, is that you've been given grace. Sin was created when Satan fell from heaven after choosing himself over God, right? So Satan essentially created sin. Man inherited a sinful nature upon choosing himself over the cares and mandates of God, right? So that's kind of like a primer on sin. So now let's transition into Islam and its view of sin. Islam's view of sin is a bit different. Surah 428 mentions that sin exists because of human weakness and forgetfulness. Islamic sin is tied directly to man forgetting to follow Allah's, Allah's edicts. Muslims view their faith as a test of memory and diligence. According to Quran 67, 1-2, God created life and death to test humanity to see if they would remember to do His will. Those that do remember and believe hope to receive God's mercy on the Day of Judgment. A key point here is that the Quran is followed to reveal Allah's will, not Allah Himself, right? And that's something that we're going to touch, touch on here in a minute. Christianity is pointedly different to this last point. John 1, 14 through 18 details how the word of God reveals God himself. Christianity, Christianity is about finding God, about living with God, about abiding in him. Islam is different. Islam teaches that humanity's greatest failure is in relation to their memory and willpower. The Quran seeks to remedy this by giving Muslims the reminders of what it is to be in Allah's will. Obedient submission to God's will is paramount here in Islam. And of course, you know, in Christianity, we are also called to obey God's will. But the point is not to discover what his will is. It's, it's, it's to discover the essence of who he is. It's, it's to discover God himself. So Matt Bennett, an excellent Christian evangelist, contrasts Islam's view of sin and focus on law with this quote. And, and I've got several quotes for you guys here, so I can make sure that it's not just my words that are lending, lending credence to all this, but it's others' words as well, especially those that are way more learned than I am. So he says, Matt Bennett does, while the Bible is filled with commands not to forget the things that God has done, and like you can see that in Deuteronomy 4, 9 through 10, remembering and obeying the law is insufficient to remedy the human sin problem. In fact, as Paul reflects on the law, he sees it as producing further condemnation of human sinfulness. And this right here is mentioned in Romans 7, 7 through 13. The revelation of God's law in the Bible is not the answer to the human plight. Rather, it exposes the human's inability to perfectly uphold the law. The Bible's remedy for the sin problem is not to send a reminder, but to send a Savior who can satisfy justice and mercifully put away the effects for sin once and for all, as mentioned in Hebrews 9-12. through 12. Um, And just a caveat on this, the key point here is that we are not sufficient to overcome our own sin. We are not sufficient in Christianity to become like God. That's just not how we're wired up. We need a savior. And God understood this. So he spends, you know, like a, like a large part of the Old Testament, he's sending down people like Abraham and Moses to help lead his people. And then, um, like guiding them by the hand and then creating like a whole system, a whole system for them to be made right with him. And then God sends down himself, his only son, to pay the way for our sins because he knows that we can't do it ourselves. So what does he do? He says, you know what? I love my creation. Let me go and I will make this right with, with my creation and I'll give them away to me to be holy like me, right? So let's follow this up with another quote from Rich Windling, Daniel, and Daniel Shista. 
I think it's Shayeste, but I don't know. I'm really bad at names. About um, <laughs> Islamic's view of sin and salvation to finish this section on the show. So, the Quran's teachings regarding salvation are inconsistent, they say. On one hand, the Quran teaches that salvation is based on purification by good deeds, as mentioned in Quran 7.6-9. A Muslim can become righteous through prayer, almsgiving, fasting, and living according to the Quran. Yet, the Quran also teaches that Allah has predetermined every person's destiny, and one's righteous acts may or may not affect Allah's decision, as mentioned in Quran 57.22. It teaches that everyone, both the righteous and the unrighteous, will be led into hell by Allah, before the righteous will enter heaven, as mentioned in Quran 1967-72. Therefore, no Muslim can know his or her eternal destiny in this life. Even Muhammad himself was unsure of a salvation, and I can prove this, it's in, it's in Quran 31-34 and 46-9. You can see it for yourself. Today, whenever Muslims mention the name of, of Muhammad, they always add the phrase, peace be upon him, because Muhammad's eternal destiny is uncertain. And the Muslim must ask Allah to be merciful to him, right? So like they're constantly praying for God to, to bring him into heaven. This contradiction between the Quran's teachings of salvation by works and its teaching by Allah determining salvation, regardless of one's works, results in Islam being one of the world's most uncertain religions, um, it's one of the most uncertain religions regarding one's own salvation, as mentioned by Rich Windling and Daniel Shaista. Shaista. I have no idea. Um, let me give you guys also some interesting points to consider. And then you can use these points to pick certain bones for your own study in the future. As you can notice, I'm not debating Muslim culture. My focus is on theology exclusively. I never want to foster a, ho a hostile atmosphere where things become personal. Like aggressive debate? Totally, sure. But never demeaning in any way. I'm not trying to diminish... Um, how a Muslim sees his own religion. My goal is to point out things that differentiate Islam and also, as I did before, like with Judaism, um, against Christianity. See, it's it's not it's not Islam versus Christianity. It's not Judaism versus Christianity. It's Islam and Christianity. You know, um, we are part of the same three Abrahamic faiths, both having both having like very similar origins. And so, it's important not to demonize or to ostracize any person that you're trying to preach the word of God to. So I also, I also need to reiterate here, go and do research on the sheer reverence that Muslims prescribe to Jesus, right? And this is key. As a Christian, our debates must start and end with Jesus. I've spent a lot of time on, on that in this show. Um, I spent a lot of time on that in all of my shows. He is God and his example is what truly sets up um, sets us apart from the other religions of the world, especially within the Abrahamic faiths. The, the Quran even speaks to Jesus' birth, giving an account where Jesus speaks as a baby and foretells for his life here on earth, right? Jesus will even come back to the earth as part of the Islamic version of what Christians know as the book of Revelation. So, so, so Jesus has a very, very large part. He was born of a virgin, they said. And he even talked at birth about his death. And um, that's just a it's it's important to know that with all with with as much reverence as Muslims have for Jesus and for other prominent people in in the, in the New Testament, it makes you really wonder where where the disconnect truly is when it comes to just taking an extra step and actually believing that Jesus was God, as was foretold in the Old Testament. Just like how those of um, those who follow Judaism miss all the prophecies 
that foretold of Jesus coming back and how Jesus like fulfilled each one of them. Maybe I'll do a little bit extra detailed show on that in the future. Um, the difficult part in explaining Christian faith to a Muslim simply involves knowing your own faith. So if Muhammad states that Jesus was Allah's prophet and that he was speaking for Allah, then how do you, how do you square the circle of Jesus stating in the Bible that he is the way to eternal salvation, right? If you view Jesus' words as a holy prophet, then how do you ignore his words in the Bible? Muhammad even is quoted in the Quran as telling Christians of the time to check their own gospels, right? So like Muhammad mentions that if like they need to know more, he tells, like Muhammad like literally tells them in the Quran to check their own gospels. Muhammad knew of the gospels and knew that Jesus was real. He attests to this. The extensive report of Jesus in the Quran is a worthy part of study that I think everyone should do so we can better understand our um, Muslim brothers and sisters. Let's keep going further, though. The God of the Bible is a benevolent God, seeking to gain fellowship with his creation, right? The, the God of the Quran is not the same God as that. You are a servant of Allah, you have allegiance, and, and you pledge service to Allah. Even Old Testament-focused Jews have a God that sought to dwell with them, right? Showering constant blessings, like actual blessings and like, like miracles. He appeared to them. He guided them physically, God did, and even gave them direct messengers like in order to facilitate you know the, the religion and the faith Allah on the other hand is alpha he's purely alpha and you serve that's it further on we see that God for Christians dwells within us as the Holy Spirit and came down to free us from our sins instead of just giving us rules right he gave us a way out not through our memory not through tenets but through him it's not about us it's, it's about Jesus it's about him and this is opposed to the Quran um, in 7188 there's like a there's a comparison between this and then Hebrews 9.27 that shows us that salvation is important for the here and now, not the future, right? So calling upon the name of Jesus in salvation means that you are saved now. Keyword, now. We don't have to wonder or stress as Christians. Muslims have this worry, right? They can explain it away by, by working on their acts in the current world and that they have faith that Allah will reward them. But to me, this sounds like an uncertainty I wouldn't want to deal with as a believer. I would not want to deal with not knowing where I was going. You know, like some Christians make and say that now. They're like, oh, I don't really know where I'm going. That means that they're just not educated. Because the Bible's eminently clear about where we're going if you're saved. And about like, what being saved means. And then how simple it is. If you have like uncertainties, that's something like for you to deal with. That's not something that... Um, is imminently dangerous to your faith. In fact, that might be a good way to kind of spur yourself on. You know, like if you're really worried about that kind of stuff, maybe you should pray about it and see and seek out God's will for it to see if maybe you're just missing something. Like if maybe you just you just need you need some more faith or like you need to have like more perspective. Because like I know for me, if I'm going to go do something new, like play like a new video game or do something new, like go rock climbing, um, you might climb a wall and be like, did I really climb that wall right? Is that the right way to do it? And like in it may not have been, but asking the question is a good launching platform. Like, hey, guys, what can I do to improve my rock climbing wall proficiency? And then be like, okay, well, here's what you should do. And that's going to happen how your faith with God works, right? So it's not the fact that you don't believe that you're saved. It's that you don't believe that you're doing the right thing and that you want to do the rightest thing as possible, which is totally a word and a phrase, which is a good launching point for one's Christian faith. So 
Let's summarize our contradictions. Basically, if Jesus was a prophet and the Quran in 547 states that Allah's message is uncorruptible, then how can Muslims say that the Christian and Jewish messages were perverted over time? Right? Because that's the argument is that though the Muslims, um, though Muslims do believe on the Old and New Testaments, you know, the, the Tanakh, the, the Jewish, that the followers of Judaism um, follow, and that they also believe in, it, in in the Gospels, as well as the scrolls, their their messages is that if those things contradict with the Quran, then they're not real because apparently Jews and Christians have corrupted them over time. And that's what Muslims believe, right? But if again, Quran five forty seven states that Allah's message is uncorruptible, and Jesus was a messenger of Allah, um, I don't really see how how that can work, especially since um, you know Moses was a a messenger of Allah as well, according to the Muslims. Again, I could go on for hours on this, but it's too deep. There's no need in debunking Islam. That's not the point. We need to love Muslims, not see, to debate them, to bring them down or anything like that. I mean, it's good to debate them and to, and to question your faith and their faith, if for nothing else than just to figure out like what's going on. But it's not, the, the, you shouldn't go out and try to seek and give these arguments to people out there that are Muslims. Um, you might end up making more enemies than you do friends. And it's better just to mention Jesus anyways. Um, the ultimate goal, like I just mentioned, is to point out how much Islam states about Jesus and how they reject his divinity. We don't need to show our, our contradictions in doctrine. You can do that on your own time, right? Um, but I really appreciate you guys listening. I, I hope that you've enjoyed the, this new mic. It is super nice. I'm super in love with it. Thank you to whoever got that for me. This is an amazing, amazing tool for the podcast. I really appreciate it. Also, make sure that you do some research on... Um, Islam versus Christianity. It's good to really learn about it. It's really good to see what they believe and see how strong our beliefs are here in Christianity. But um, look, thank you guys so much. Y'all have a blessed day.